Welcome to Adventures in Evaluation Podcast with James Coyle and Kylie Hutchinson. Hi everybody, I'm James Coyle. I'm an internal evaluator in a large regional health authority. And I'm Kylie Hutchinson. I'm an independent external evaluator and you're listening to Adventures in Evaluation. So today we have another treat, another guest, Anne Emery from Innovation Network, uh, is from Washington, D.C. Have I got that right, Anne? Yes, you do. You are quickly becoming an infamous uh, blogger, tweeter. I think that's how both Kylie and I uh, came to know you. And uh, I don't think we've ever talked before, so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, you know, just a, a small sort of a tangent. I, I, you know, I think when I first came to know you, I didn't realize that we'd done this, but our podcast, Adventures in Evaluation, is uh, very similar to, I think, your website. Uh, it was quite by uh, serendipity that I see your website has uh, got adventures in it as well. Yeah, well, evaluation is full of adventures, so why not just spread around the, the good cheer, right? Yeah, so I see at emoryevaluation.com, um, you've got it listed as adventures of a nonprofit and foundations evaluator, so... We're, um, we're especially interested today to talk a bit about an AEA 365 uh, tip that you've given to uh, folks, I think, on October 12th. Oh, no, a bigger part, on October 29th. And uh, you were talking uh, or blogging about 10 things that you didn't learn in school. Do you want to tell us a bit about um, uh, what inspired you to write that and uh, what, what was on your mind that day? Sure. Well, I've been talking with a lot of novice evaluators, um, if I meet them on Twitter or through blogging or at conferences, just to see what their first impressions of the field are like. And I started coming up with this list of kind of similarities and differences between our grad school experiences and our first couple of jobs in the evaluation field. So I just, you know, wrote down all those ideas that I'd gotten and uh, came up with this list of, of 10 differences between grad school and evaluation. And and just a caveat that I've been working as a full-time evaluation consultant while I'm in school. Um, so I think some of my personal experiences differ from people who might have gone to grad school full-time because um, I'm in grad school part-time right now. School and work at the same time. And you're still blogging and you're tweeting. How, how do you find all that? <laughs> I just drink lots of coffee. <laughs> so I'm just looking through the list and... Um... Uh, on the site, did you have a rank ordering? Or are they all equally important, or was there one that uh, that uh, that you started the list off the first thing that came to your mind? Hmm. Uh, I think I just kind of started. It's not necessarily rank ordered, but are there things on there that that with your experiences you think are particularly different between grad school and evaluation? Well, the one that jumped out to me. And I know that this has been the sort of uh, topic du jour at uh, the AEA conference, and Kylie and I have talked a lot about it, is the writing in non-APA format. And I think I've seen a tweet uh, from you about that, just uh, how much fun it is when you have to write everything for school in APA. Oh, yes. So much fun. I'm working on a project right now. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the beauties of evaluation is that we get to adapt. We can use dashboards, memos, brochures, um, and that a lot of our work is even done verbally, just talking with our clients. Um, it's something that I really like about the field. You know, I have a little bone to pick about this whole APA thing because, I mean, I was brought up using APA. And, uh, man, I hate it when I have to cite in another format because as an external consultant, you know, different clients, different 
different formats drives me bonkers. Why can't we all just get on the same page? You know what? I'd really love to hear the list, like starting at 10 and going down to one. So the first thing I listed was facilitating group discussions. Um, That's something that's really important in evaluation because you need to facilitate staff meetings, board meetings, all sorts of client meetings, even staff retreats within your own organization. The second thing I listed was... um, Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I I got a comment about that one, and I I so agree with you because um, I don't know any... I don't know any grad school that teaches group facilitation. And when I, you know, the classic, the classic story from my experience is when I first went out on my own as a consultant, I bought my little home package of SPSS and I never cracked the seal on it in, in 10 years, just because of the type of evaluation that I was doing. And listeners know that, but what I needed to get up to speed on really quickly was facilitation facilitation skills. I mean, I didn't even, when I, when I left school, I didn't even know what the word facilitation meant and just even understanding that kind of term, but it is such an important skill. I mean, if you're, if you're doing any form of participatory evaluation, if you can't facilitate a group, then I don't know. Help me out here, guys. Yeah, I agree. That kind of ties into another thing that I listed down, um, giving potent presentations. And of course, we're lucky in the AEA to have the Potent Presentations Initiative right. uh, with, with Stephanie Evergreen leading, of course, uh, because public speaking and managing groups and managing all those different viewpoints, um, answering audience questions. I mean, it's something that I think I'll always be working on. It's just such a key skill in evaluation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. When I think back to my graduate studies, one of the things I got out of the uh, program I was in was that you really had to present every couple of weeks. And when I looked at some other graduate uh, friends of mine in other schools, it was very seldom they had to present. But even in my own case, it was always to people that knew my discipline. They you know, were able to get into the nitty gritty of things. It's not like the real world, is it, where you've got many different stakeholders or even different senior executives that all have a different uh, knowledge base in the organization you may work in, and they're going to have questions that come out of left field. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. point. Go ahead. Yeah, and just, well, I was just going to say that whole public speaking thing. You know, I remember when I went to my first Toastmasters meeting, and the woman who met me at the door, who had been assigned to greet newcomers, she was goth. She, you know, was this skinny, anemic, kind of Winona rider looking person, and she was kind of quiet with me and whatever. But she, when it was her time to speak on the Toastmasters agenda, she blew everybody away with her skills. And that's where I realized, oh my goodness, there's, there's a real skill here. And, and nobody in, in grad school will ever talk to you about that. But I think if I had to pinpoint one of the steps to success, and in fact, I'm, I'm keeping this list of, of, of points, uh, you know, steps to success for my my nieces. One of them is public speaking. I think public speaking is an incredible thing in terms of career success, but it's also really important as an evaluator if you are going to effectively communicate your point. James was mentioning in our last podcast, he was mentioning how he had 45 minutes scheduled with his senior executive team and it went down to 15 minutes. And you know, there's nothing like Toastmasters to teach you how to do that. Yeah, and let's not pick on one owner rider, though. Come on. Oh, come on. Okay. <laughs> let's get back on track here. So, okay, so Anne, sorry. 
let's uh, let's let's hear the next one on the list. Okay. So, Kylie, your point about communicating, uh, that ties into another item on my list, which is communicating and resolving conflict within teams. In a lot of grad school work, you can kind of work independently on almost any project. If you're writing a paper, maybe you're giving an independent presentation, but in evaluation, you're in teams and committees on every single project. So communicating with other people just becomes crucial. Well, it's funny because when I talk to students nowadays, uh, including our own kids, uh, what's the thing that they hate most? Uh, if it's not the worst teacher or professor that they have, it's working in teams. And, you know, usually uh, I think in one of the business schools, a friend of mine went to, they said, in real world work, you don't always get to pick who you have to work with. So I think that's a really good one. Well, it's tricky. Um, another item on my list is managing people and projects. You get some experience with, you know, managing a research project in grad school, but managing the teams and the people is is really tricky. Um one of my favorite resources that I listed is a blog called Ask a Manager by Allison Green. And she's also published a book called Managing to Change the World. Um, and she blogs um, almost every day, if not multiple times a day, answering questions from readers about you know, how to deal with those tricky workplace situations and, and team environments that they're struggling with. Yeah. And I mean, you probably have to manage sometimes multiple projects at the same time with different deadlines. They change. Um, it's not as static as the uh, the syllabus and the agenda at the beginning of a school year, is it? Yeah, the whole thing with putting putting out fires, crises, you think, okay, I've got all today to work on this such and such a project, and then it just disappears because something else has been put by your desk. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, another item on the list is teaching. Um, so some people have already had the chance to teach college-level courses, maybe as a teaching assistant, maybe they worked as a professor right after they finished their PhD. Um, but a lot of us had, haven't done that yet, so teaching experience really comes in handy. And something that one of you already mentioned was uh, learning to communicate well with non-evaluators and avoiding jargon. Um, John Gargani has a really great blog post about that, too, about how to avoid jargon in our reports. Yes, never use the word evaluand. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> or evaluability assessment. In fact, we've got a podcast coming up about where do the evaluability assessment go, right? Because of that, yeah, good point. What's your favorite uh, jargon that you uh, that you really had to try and stamp out using? Yeah? Um, I try not to say logic model, which is is tricky because I work with logic models all the time. But I think that terminology just scares people right off the bat. So I just try to call oh, really? it. A plan or a picture or a graphic design showing how their program works. So it doesn't get any better when you say theory of change. No, that that one's not <laughs> any better. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Another thing is adapting to external factors. Um, I think, James, you just said something about this, that universities are a little bit more controlled. They're organized. You have a syllabus. Um, you might have had a layout of your courses, so you kind of know, okay, in semester one, I'm doing this. In semester two, I'm doing this. But in evaluation, you're just adapting to everything all the time, whether it's poor data quality, uh, political environment, maybe there's staff turnover on your team or in the program that you're working with. Um, so adaptation is key. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. And I think, you know, speaking as an external consultant, the more that you can kind of roll with those punches, the the A, the easier your job is, but B, the better you come across to clients because um, those things are kind of unavoidable. 
So here in Africa, everything stops when there's a funeral, and it doesn't matter, you know, what you had scheduled. If there's a funeral, people go. People go. Um, I'm thinking about an evaluation that I had to do once for an organization, and everything was all hunky dory until the until the executive director said, "But you can't talk to the clients." <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, those kind of things are uh, yeah, they're reality, aren't they? The next item on my list is negotiating and compromising, um, a similar skill, because you just have to figure out all of those deliverables, the deadlines, the budgets, um, like you said, whether or not you can even talk to clients and just constantly talking with people about what's expected and what you can produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me think about negotiating just around the whole idea of the re- results briefing and when you're presenting to the client your draft results this is what I found and they say oh my gosh you can't say that I didn't say that or something and then you have to kind of I, I don't know have you had that um, Anne where you, you kind of have this back and forth negotiation about what actually gets put in the report um, yeah I think that's pretty typical um, one of the things we do here at Innovation Network is a lot of participatory data analysis so we routinely show the preliminary results to the clients and give them a chance to react before we produce the final report. Yeah. You know, the very first evaluation that I did, my sister actually found me the contract because it was in the classifieds of the the paper, which is a bit bizarre. And when I finished it, uh, I was doing, it was basically a needs assessment. And when I was presenting the results, you know, faithfully presenting all of my findings, they basically kind of took me to task because I hadn't recommended such and such an organization as the best organization to to carry out this project. And I realized it dawned on me at that point that they were actually using me. They were using evaluation to uh, to put them forward as, as a proponent for this. And, and that's when I realized, oh my God, I was going to have to do negotiation. And at the time, I was in my late 20s. I was dealing with very, very seasoned not-for-profit professionals in their 50s, and I was clearly unprepared for that kind of situation. So I think you're right. You know, those negotiation skills, they're really, they're really, really critical. And I, I'm not really sure you can – I mean, Anne, what, what do you think? Can you, can you teach somebody those, or do they just come from experience over the years? I'm going to say experience. A lot of the skills I've learned are through internships or just by observing more experienced evaluators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually that, that, that surfaces the point that uh, we've often noticed is that um, students that have actually had a co-op program have had a chance to um, develop some of these skills before they even graduate. Yeah, yeah true. Great. Um, the last thing on my list is getting out from behind your desk and incorporating stakeholder input, talking to them, doing site visits, case studies, interviews, anything that's just not the, you know, day-to-day computer work um, that you Mm. sometimes get a taste of in grad school, but not all the times. Mm -hmm. So getting into the trenches and getting muddy. Yeah, getting out into the field. Yeah, that's one of those things, I don't know what you found, Kylie, but even as a a member of a large uh, organization here, it's very easy for me to go to my office and sit at my desk, email people, get on the phone, uh, but there's nothing quite, I mean, I'm energized by it, so uh, as an extrovert, I'm naturally going to want to do this, but 
Um, there's nothing quite like going to the actual source, going in my case to the emergency department or the senior's home, um, you know, or the training seminar, whatever it is and where it's happening is absolutely critical. And so it's not, as you said, something you can do, uh, you know, in a library on a Saturday morning at school. Yeah, you're right. You know, oftentimes when I start a contract, I will, I will spend a day, you know, in the drop-in center or watching the food delivery or, uh, you know, <laughs> I remember once I saw, I was lucky enough to see 30 pap smears in one day. <laughs> And uh, but you know certainly gives you a perspective on that field and and uh, when I think of the notes I've taken and and stuff like that it is it it is really really important because people people don't necessarily look at things the way that an evaluator looks at things and uh, to be kind of in the context we, we think of a lot of stuff that other people don't think of so I think you're right it's really important. Particularly, um, at, particularly when you're removed from the program. Now, if we're talking about developmental evaluation, then you're in the thick of it and you're at all the meetings, etc. But if you're an external evaluator who is unavoidably parachuting in, or if you're an internal evaluator in a large organization and, and you don't get out to those clinics all that often, it is, it's really, really critical because there's only so much background that you can read about, but... Um, to be right in the context, I think, is is absolutely important, yeah. Were there any honorable mentions, Anne? Um, well, Kylie gave me an idea for maybe a number 11 on the list, which is dealing with ethical dilemmas and the age differences and power dynamics that come along with that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I'm just thinking back to, uh, you know, the difference between grad school and occasionally where... I experienced a good roasting. Uh, it was very isolated. It was very rare. Uh, maybe I even had another professor take my side and, you know, something we were presenting. And there were good heated discussions. And they were real world for some of the, you know, the, the academic environment and the people that were there. But it's very different than the kind of heat and uh, conflict you have to deal with when you're actually, um, you know, in an organization where millions of dollars and decisions are at stake. Yeah. So maybe getting a thick, a thicker skin, is that one that maybe I would add to the list? <laughs> That's a good um, one. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think definitely because you know, in my experience as an external consultant, people treat you differently than they do as an internal evaluator. And I think because for a couple of reasons, I think you're kind of expendable. Um, they're also paying you a lot more money than they're paying an internal evaluator. And and so the, the expectations are much higher. And um, I've really had to develop a thick skin over, over the years. And it was hard the first couple of years. You know, I remember tearful phone calls to my mom. Oh, my God. Blah, 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 they don't like my report. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, um, you know, over, over the years, I've, I've gotten a lot better at it. But I, that is a real observation that people treat you differently as an external evaluator and if you can't handle the key then you got to get out of the kitchen really that's really what it's about right right great point yeah yeah so and i had a question for you then you know these are all really important kind of skills that you've mentioned and when i think about them yeah i didn't have them when i first started out and they just came through experience right and 
as as James likes to say, the hard scrabble life of the evaluator. What do you think? I mean, do you think these are things that these are skills that grad schools should be teaching evaluators, or is it just kind of get out there and and go to the school of hard knocks? Hmm, that's a tricky one. I can't pretend that I know how to structure a good grad school program. Um, I think I'm seeing more and more grad schools offer internships, which is valuable, but um, I don't know. I think you just have to kind of get out there and jump in the deep end and get your feet wet a little bit. Yeah, if there's not a co-op, uh, maybe that's uh, something we call it in Canada or an internship. You're right. I think um, the other thing I would add, uh, and some of us do this in school too, is get a mentor. Find someone that you can uh, get some some feedback on your practice that you can go cry to uh, that's not your mom uh, and <laughs> someone who's been around this block. I, I think that that's what I've really appreciated. Yeah, you know, I want to just do a shout out for my mentor, who's Mary Lee Stevenson. She's got experience up the yin yang and, uh, you know, she's about 20 years older than me. And this woman has been amazing for me that when I when I need to call on her, it's usually because I've got some kind of dilemma with a client. And when I call her in the beginning, I used to I used to just have the pen ready and be scribbling down exactly what she said, because she's just so incredibly articulate. And then in later years, I just learned to record her phone calls because she she helped me so much much with these things and with a lot of answers that I just I couldn't come up with myself and I know that she knew the answer because she just had the experience she'd gone through it herself I I can't stress the importance of mentors strong strong enough at all you know I'm just um, thinking of uh, uh, you know the flip side to this I, I mean I know from your posts Anne, and your tweets and I know Kylie and I are, are similar that um, you're certainly not a deficit uh, sort of focused person. I, I would almost see an interesting sister blog to this is, here are the 10 things that you are learning in school that you should really be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Because there's a lot of those things that students and you know even our kids say, well, I don't know where I'm going to use this. And I do think that there were some of the things that I picked up, particularly in graduate school, that I'm really glad I did. Um, and I wonder what that list would look like. Oh, you know, James, that's so true. If I can just jump in, because because grad school is the the gold standard, right? You get taught the gold standard of evaluation, and you know, for the longest time, I was in the trenches, the queen of the quick and dirty evaluation. And then all of a sudden, I found myself in a situation where I'm in a highly resourced evaluation, and I'm I'm able to access every aspect of my training, and I am going back to that training and it is so important to me to know that this is the gold standard because every time somebody calls me to do an evaluation I think oh great I want to do this you know I want to do the best possible design and the best most rigorous design I can ever do and then of course the budget just beats me down you know until I'm this like quivering little you know whatever on the ground um but I know what that standard is, right? So I know how far off the standard I am. And I think it's really important that in evaluation, we're always trying to do the best, most solid, tightest, most rigorous design we can. And that's where our education comes in. Am I making sense here or am I just rambling? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
I also had a great course in grad school. We covered non-parametric statistics for a few weeks straight in class. So even though it was not exactly the gold standard, it's what to do when the gold standard doesn't happen in your data set. Just having that classroom knowledge, having all my notes highlighted, um, sample data sets from SPSS that I'd saved on my computer. As soon as I needed to do non-parametric statistics in my real day-to-day -day work, I knew exactly where to go. I had all the resources right at my fingertips. Yeah, it's funny. I could imagine we could have a, a list of graduate school texts that you still carry around with you. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true. So, Anne, I see that there's uh, always a lot of response to your blogs and posts, and Susan Kistler's jumped in and suggested uh, searching for patterns is another one, and uh, someone else has suggested, um, you know, trying to figure out, I think, uh, the going rate, uh, maybe alluding to uh, how you get paid and, and, and that whole thing. Um, where, where do you go from here with the list? Um, let's see. Well, I wrote another blog post about professional de development for novice evaluators, um, kind of focusing on some of the best professional development there is um, out there, mostly through AEA. So look for that next. That's kind of a a related blog post for novice evaluators. Yeah, that's that that's great. And I also see uh, you've just recently posted uh, a twist on nine top tips for journalists, uh, calling it top tips for evaluators of tomorrow. Between that and I see your uh, uh, your YouTube uh, videos or the recordings you're doing on use of Excel, you're really uh, very interested in capacity building, which is so important in our field. Yeah, yep. So thank you very, very much. Um, for uh, your time today. It's been uh, a real treat. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person and sorry both Kylie and I couldn't do that uh, at AEA this year. Was Maybe there anything we'll else? Yeah. yeah, we will. We will. Was there anything else you wanted to add today? Um, no, I think we covered a lot of great things. You guys have given me plenty of ideas for future blog posts, so <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Anne. I really appreciate it. So for those who are listening to our podcast and want to get in touch with us directly, you can email us adventures in evaluation podcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at adventures in evaluation.podbean.com. And we really do appreciate your comments and your ideas for future episodes, so please keep them coming. And until then, James, have a great week in evaluation. And Anne, you too. And we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Bye bye. Take care.